Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 18. Then the men rose from there and looked towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to send them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him, in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord, and Abraham came near. Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were fifty righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the fifty righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked? Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Indeed, now I who am but dust and ashes have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there were five less than the fifty righteous. Would you destroy all of the city for lack of five? If I find there forty-five, I will not destroy it. Suppose there should be forty found there. I will not do it for the sake of forty. Let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose thirty should be found there. I will not do it if I find thirty there. Indeed. Now, I have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose twenty should be found there. I will not destroy it for the sake of twenty. Let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak but once more. Suppose ten should be found there. I will not destroy it for the sake of ten. So the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. journey through this amazing book has brought us to chapter 18, where Abraham, who had been blessed by God with a covenant and promised a miracle son, was looking out his tent door and sees three men out in the yard. He runs to them and invites them to stay, wash their feet, have a morsel of bread. You know, he, he approaches them so humbly, and then when he agrees, he runs and has his wife make bread out of 24 quarts of flour. He has his servant, one of his servants, he has over 300 of them, make a tender calf. He, you know, so it's a barbecue with milk and butter and bread and beef. Can you say carnivore? <laughs> so as we read on through the story, we discover two of these men are angels. So apparently they can eat more than just manna. And apparently God, who's the other man, Yahweh himself, is not a vegan. Sorry, guys. While visiting with him, they again reminds him of this miracle 
child. Well, his wife, Sarah, Abram's wife, laughs within herself. And so God confronts her, why did you laugh? You know, in, in the season of life from this time, you're going to have a son. And she's old, and her husband's even older. And she denies laughing. Maybe she didn't laugh out loud, but she did laugh. Ironically, Abraham had laughed earlier when hearing this promise. And so God chose them to name him Isaac, or Isaac, which means laughter. Two of the men get up from this wonderful time of fellowship and head towards Sodom. And the Lord looks at Abram and says, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. We know this is through the Messiah that would be born through his lineage. The whole world would be blessed. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they may keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, we'll find out about that next Sunday, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it, that it has come to me, and if not, I will know. Now, God is omniscient. He knows everything, but it's by his superior intelligence. It's by his being in touch with his creation. He knows. But there's something about God that wants to experience. And so Jesus came and experienced their earthly existence. God was already full of mercy. His mercy endures forever. But now Jesus, the scripture says, is a more merciful high priest because he knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows what it's like to be human. So God is going to Sodom to experience what he already knows. Why does he do that? He's merciful. He's merciful. And uh, I think he gives people a chance to repent. He had already blessed these communities by using Abraham to deliver them from years of enslavement to a foreign power. Abraham and 318 men plus his neighbors went and got them and rescued them, including his own nephew, Lot, who lived in this city. And so Abraham approaches God. When the men left, Abraham still stood before the Lord, having heard this news, and he came near. So he gets even closer to God and said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? So the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sake. So Abraham follows this line of logic, reasoning with God. I mean, this is an amazing conversation. And God agrees to spare the city for 45. And then he agrees to spare the city for 40, then 30, then 20, then 10, and the conversation ends. 
And of course, as we'll see next week, there's not 10 righteous in the city. There wasn't 10 righteous on the earth before the flood. And yet God spared eight righteous people through the deliverance of the ark. And in the story, as we'll see next week, God delivers four, I mean three righteous people. They were righteous at the time from what was going to happen in Sodom and Gomorrah. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that your word would speak to us in such a way that it applies to our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. What does this have to do with America now? What does that, this have to do with me as a U.S. citizen? What does this have to do with me as a member of the body of Christ? It has everything to do with it. Because today we're talking about the ministry of intercession. Can we say intercession? Intercession, intercession basically... Biblically means to pray for someone else. If you're praying, oh Lord, bless us four and no more, that's not intercession. That's a form of petition, uh, but that's dealing with you and your blessing. But intercession, you stretch out beyond. Intercessors stretch out beyond themselves, beyond the, even the walls of their own church, beyond their own region, their own city, even beyond their own nation. Praying big prayers, standing before God, reasoning with him, pleading the case. If you're in trouble with the law and you hire a lawyer to plead your case before the judge, the lawyer is your intercessor in that context. And here we see Abraham standing in the position of interceding for a city he had already served, for, you know, twin cities he had already blessed. But here he is blessing them again. God have mercy. Awesome. Awesome story. The word intercession means the act of interceding or prayer. It's a petition or entreaty in favor of another. It's for someone else. Synonyms for the word intercession are mediation. Like a lawyer who acts as the mediator, that's intercession. Uh, Jesus is our intercessor. Negotiation. Arbitration, intervention, pleading, praying. Someone standing in your place to defend you is acting as an intercessor, pleading to a higher power if that's what they're doing. So in this story, we see the foundation of intercession. I don't know of any better example of intercession in the Bible prior to this than this. Afterwards, of obviously, other examples. We see that God related to Abraham as his friend. If you're going to be an intercessor, a relationship with God is most important. The Lord himself says, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. We're in this room because of Abram. In 2 Chronicles 27, Isaiah 41, 8, and James 2, 23, Abraham is called the friend of God. Are there any friends of God in the house? We, this is the roots, the roots of the gospel is through the friendship God initiated with this man named Abram, the father of the Hebrew nation. The Lord had confidence in Abraham. So there's a faithfulness in this man. If you're going to be an intercessor, Plead the case of others. You want to walk in faithfulness before the Lord. The Lord says about him, For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord, 
to do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring to Abram that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. So God has confidence in Abraham and God has confidence in himself because he's made a covenant with him. He's going to bring him blessings because he's promised them. So he takes what Abraham has to say seriously. He's in a covenant relationship. Being friends, God shares his plans with Abraham. He said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me, and if not, I will know. There was grave sin there, not only the sin of gang rape, which was community-wide, but also they had no care for the poor. We'll see through what Ezekiel had to say about them. They were a wicked, wicked community. So God shares his plans with his friend, Abraham, foundation of intercession. Intercessors can receive burdens from the Lord, concerns. Why? To pray about it. Turn your cares. If God is putting burdens on you and concern for you, he's calling you to stand in a place of intercession. Not to get depressed, but to turn your cares into prayers. Amen. Drawing near, Abraham interceded for Sodom. When the men turned away and went toward Sodom, Abraham stood still before the Lord. He didn't go anywhere. And then he went near the Lord and said, would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? This is why I believe in the pre-wrath rapture. I don't think the Lord's going to pour out his wrath on his people. Anyway, so Abraham begins to reason with him. Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you destroy the place and not spare it for 50 righteous that were in it? Far be it from you. I mean, how dare he talk to God like this? But he's doing it respectfully. To do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Lord, have mercy. <laughs> have mercy. We need to pray for the world. We need to pray for our nation. Lord, have mercy. Hearing him, the Lord responded favorably. So the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. After more intercession, God finally agrees to 10. So I don't want to seem anti-Semitic, but Abraham, as a Hebrew, is Jewing God down. Isn't that awesome? What a deal maker. What a deal maker. Blessed. My father-in-law was Jewish, and he used that kind of terminology, so you can send me cards and letters later. <laughs> Isaiah prophesied that the Lord was speaking through him. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. 
Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. Nobody's too far gone. Nobody's doomed. Nothing's too hard for the Lord. Earlier in this chapter, when uh, Sarah laughed about the miracle child, the Lord asked, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is there anything? So he's inviting us to come and reason with him. Why? He's a God of justice, and wrong must be corrected. Otherwise, he ceases to be who he is, right? But there's an exception that can be made when an intercessor is involved to pray. God is not mocked. We reap what we sow, but when there's an intervention, awesome things can happen. Who's had God intervene for you? Yeah. So we're invited. So let's talk about the operation of intercession. Let's move beyond this story in Genesis. Jesus taught us to pray for our our enemies. He said, but I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his son, S-U-N, rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So God is merciful. And so when you pray for your enemies, what are you praying? You're praying for mercy because if they continue treating people bad, it's going to come back on them and their life is going to be wrecked. So we're to pray for those who persecute us. Jesus set the example. He prayed for his persecutors. When they come to the place called Calvary where they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Here he is, suffering an unjust death, praying a prayer of mercy. Lord, they're just ignorant. They just don't know, and they didn't know. Forgive them. Forgive them. Maybe you wrestle with unforgiveness, and maybe you've used this argument. I've heard it used by people. Uh, well, even God doesn't forgive unless people repent, so I'm not going to forgive my enemies till they repent. Yeah, you want them to grovel, right? There's no groveling here, and Jesus is praying a prayer of intercession to the Father because the earth could have melted at this point. This is the most ultimate of sins that are created. The innocent Son of God is being killed. You know, you can do me wrong, but do my child wrong? That's a whole other level of getting offended, is it not? My little boy was running up some bleachers and fell and chipped his tooth. Oh, I would have given anything for it to have been my tooth. The pain was indescribable. So it is. Jesus standing in the gap. Father, forgive them. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The Lord makes intercession for us now. A lot of people don't understand this. I don't fully understand it, but I believe it because the Bible says it. Romans 8, 34. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, 
who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. So he's at the position of authority, the right hand of God, pleading our case, making intercession for us, making sure our prayers are heard. This is amazing. Well, I thought there was only one God. There is only one God. But there's a mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. So Jesus in his humanity, sinless humanity, has risen and is our, is our high priest. And one of the functions of the high priestly ministry is intercession for others. Hebrews 7 says, because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely, completely, can we say completely, I think the King James says to the uttermost, I say to the guttermost, those who come to God through him because he always lives or ever lives to intercede for them. God is on your side. Maybe you've been away from the Lord and you believe what somebody told you. Oh, you've gone too far now. You've blasphemed the Lord. The fact you're here, the fact you have a heart for the Lord, you haven't gone too far. God's dealing with you. Jesus ever lives to intercede for you. Respond to his prayers. He's reasoning with you. Come home. We are also called to intercede for others. Oh, we're shifting. We talked about Abraham. We talked about Jesus. Now it comes home. We're called to intercede for others. We talked about this last Sunday when we spoke about biblical citizenship. Paul wrote to young Timothy, therefore, if you read the context in the previous chapter, because he was called prophetically, he was to do warfare according to the prophecies given him to fulfill God's will in his life, which others have not done and shipwrecked their faith. Therefore, I exhort first of all, can we say first? First of all, that supplications prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Can we say everybody? For kings and all who are in authority, if they're legitimately there. No. Kings and all who are in authority need our prayers. And this is something we're to do first. Why? So that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. When we intercede, we're going to be blessed with reconciliation with your enemy. Oh, man, that's awesome. You ever reconcile with an enemy, and now you've got a stronger relationship with a friend than you've ever had your whole life? There's blessings in this. When, it, when we pray for those in authority, and God responds and gives them wake-up calls in the middle of the night and, and exposes corruption and all that, you're praying not for God to rain down fire of judgment on people, but you're praying for the gift of repentance. You're praying for the conviction of sin. You're praying for your nation. You're praying for everybody. This is big prayers. He's exhorting, first of all, this, can we say priority? This is a priority to this young man that was in ministry. This is his priority ministry. Everything flows out of this. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Could it be someone's salvation is waiting on our prayers? 
let's open up our hearts and open up our perspective to see things from God's viewpoint. Sometimes we're like a little kid looking at a parade through the knot hole in the fence. We don't see very much. Well, I see something big and red. But you don't see the firemen. You don't see where that ringing is coming from, the bell that's being rung. You don't see the hoses that are spraying the people. You're just limited. That's what we are as humans. And God help us to ascend to high places where you can see from God's vantage point. The story ain't over. We're not doomed. He concludes this exhortation, verse 8, I desire therefore that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Excuse me. I desire therefore that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. That's hands that aren't shedding innocent blood. That's hands that aren't assaulting others. That's hands that aren't up to mischief and spreading things that are not accurate. Without wrath and doubting. We're in a season when so many of us are angry. This is not the attitude to have when we pray. As an intercessor, we've got to deal with that. So if you're going to intercede for others, start with yourself. Lord, I humble myself to you and just confess why you're angry, why you're upset. (laughs) You know, maybe you believe there's corruption in the land. The FBI needs to clean up. Clean it up. Well, good luck with that. So we're called to intercede for others and to do it without wrath and without doubting, with faith, expectation. Ezekiel prophesied this. God is speaking. I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. But I found no one. So God in his justice must punish evildoers he must but he looks for someone to plead their case so that he can still retain his character and be just and exercise his mercy because a human has stood in the place of intercession do you see that he's looking this is what jesus did for us as an intercessor on the cross between heaven and earth he bridged the gap that was created between us and god because of our sin. God is pure and holy. He will not fellowship with wickedness. But through the justice that was exercised on the injustice on the cross, Christ's unjust death became a substitutionary payment. He paid our fine. He did our time. The ultimate punishment is death. He did it for us to bridge that gap. He is the man that stood in the gap. And we are his people. He's the head and we are his body. Not that we have to, we die to selfish desires, but not that you necessarily have to die a physical death for someone else, but you stand in that place of praying for others. So don't give up praying for your neighbors. Don't give up praying for your enemies. Don't give up praying for those that have so discarded in your life and caused you heartache. Pastors, you need to hear this. There are some pastors that move from town to town to town. 
They go and something offensive happens. They get highly offended and they resign and go somewhere else because those people in that town are wicked. Only to find out the same kind of people are in every town. So you have this career of five years, four years, three years, two years, six years, seven years, maybe, maybe the record. Stick it out. We've been here since the end of 91, and I have seen so many things come full circle, relationships restored. Give God time. Give God time. And stand in that place of interceding. Pray. He loves people. He loves the people you can't stand just as much as he loves you. I know that bursts your bubble, but it's the truth. So we're talking about the ministry of intercession. Now, this next video I'm going to show is of Johnny Erickson Tata. And my prayer, I wept as I watched this. My prayer is that she'll open your eyes to a whole nother group of people to pray for you haven't even thought of. Give her your ear and attention. And may the Lord expand the vision of every person in this room through the testimony of our... Hi, I'm Johnny Erickson Tata of Johnny and Friends. The Bible says that righteousness exalts a nation. And it starts with prayer. In Hebrews chapter 7, we see an amazing picture of Jesus interceding about that very thing. It says there that he, quote, lives to intercede. It's what Jesus is doing this minute. So right now, I want you to picture yourself in that throne room in the third heaven, would you? See yourself dropping to your knees, as it were, next to your Lord and Savior. Just picture that. Join him, would you, right now in intercession, stand in the gap between God and the people of this nation? Plead for God's people to get serious about 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. Ask the Holy Spirit to sweep clean our hearts. Because if you and I cherish any sin, if we coddle any sinful habits, the Lord will not hear us. And let's plead not only for renewal in the hearts of followers of Christ, let's implore God on behalf of so many of our fellow Americans that desperately need the light of Christ's hope and salvation. I've been asked, the team has asked me to bring before you the needs of those who are most vulnerable in our country, and that includes the the medically fragile, the weak, the elderly, those with disabilities, infants and pre-born children, uh, especially children with serious conditions, because I know that Jesus is praying for them, for their well-being, for their right to life, for their, for their salvation. Just recently, I saw on television a national prominent athlete who developed ALS, uh, Lou Gehrig's disease. I was deeply moved by his story, and although he sat stiff and rigid in his wheelchair, he smiled as he puffed and sipped his mouth controls to steer his wheelchair. The next day I kept running into people who said, man, did you see that guy on TV with his paralysis? I mean, isn't he an inspiration? I smiled and nodded, but I thought just last week everyone was talking about assisted suicide for people like him with life-threatening conditions. It was schizophrenic. One day, letters to the editor applaud the courage of the severely disabled. The next, the editorial column is filled with letters cheering on new legislation legalizing assisted suicide. One day, the star athlete in the wheelchair is positioned as a picture of courage. The next, he's a helpless victim for whom mercy killing seems very reasonable. 
Man, the times are dark. Surely you sense that, the double speak. I know you sense the heaviness, the dark, sinister divisions, the lack of, of, of simple civility, even at the grocery store. Everyone's trust is broken. We don't trust the news. We don't trust people's motives. We don't trust what they say. Social distancing has turned us into a, 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 a nation of isolationists. We've let COVID-19 make us grab all we can while the getting is good. And everybody does what is right in their own eyes. It is so like the times of Isaiah, where he groans, see, darkness covers the earth, thick darkness over the peoples. But, and here's where you come in as an intercessor, but the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Oh, that our nation might come to the light of Christ that people in our country might see his brightness in the lives of his people, you and me, that it might dawn how desperately they need to follow Jesus Christ. And I am here today to lead you in prayer for those who are groaning the most under that darkness, that heaviness that covers our land. I am asking you to pray for our nation's neediest and most vulnerable, starting with the elderly, how about it? The elderly who have become even more isolated during COVID-19, they have suffered the most as death statistics revealed. Many are still on lockdown in care facilities separated from their families. And I am asking you right now to pray for the elderly person that you know in your family or your church or your neighborhood, would you? Pray for their salvation, that they may be ascribed dignity as image bearers ask that they be treated with respect. Ask God to give them a hunger for Christ. Next, take a minute to pray for the medically fragile, would you, who have been caught in the cracks in medical shortages and the triaging of health care. Pray for people with disabilities in unlicensed facilities here in the U.S., often sexually abused or languishing in loneliness, worn and weary single moms, tirelessly fighting on behalf of their child with developmental disabilities and special needs dads. Oh, pray for the dads who are trying to hold on to their job in a sinking economy. Take a minute, would you, to pray for someone you know with a disability, a, a wheelchair user, a child with Down syndrome, a stroke survivor. Right now, pause and pray that God would rescue them, that he would use their affliction to draw them to his side. Let's pray right now. Okay, now please pray for our nation's most vulnerable, including pre-born children with disabilities, children who are targeted for abortion. Pray also for infants with disabling conditions who are quietly allowed to starve to death, all under the guise of doing, quote, what's best for the child, his parents, the community. Pray now for pregnant mothers who are deliberating ending their pregnancy because they are carrying a child with a disabling condition. Would you pray with me right now for them?
Next, let's pray for the depressed, pray against a spirit of suicide that is on the rise in our nation, especially during COVID-19. Pray that state legislators will see the truth about doctor-assisted suicide and will defeat any bill in their state assembly that would legalize euthanasia. Join me in prayer right now for that, would you? And pray that God will rid us, that he will lift the darkness and heaviness of our self-centered culture that puts itself first, that fails time and again to consider others, especially the weak and the vulnerable. Would you pray, pray like that, would you? And finally, pray that God will raise up good Samaritans upon whom the light of righteousness will shine, convicting others to also care for the vulnerable, the wounded, the forgotten, and the lonely in our nation. Pray for family caregivers. Also pray for nurses, would you? Pray for the healthcare worker. They need our prayers. Let's pray for them. Finally, pray 2 Chronicles 7, 14. Get this. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. You know, it seems a lot of us Christians have been asking God to heal our land, but I don't hear a lot of us asking God to convict us of wickedness and sin and force us at whatever cost to turn from our evil ways. So let Second Chronicles speak to you right now. Ask the Holy Spirit to scrutinize your heart, to shine his light into the recesses of your soul, to reveal hidden stubborn sins that you might turn from wickedness. Let's pray about that right now. Well, this has been a, a time of prayer for the weak and the vulnerable. And I implore you to continue to pray for the elderly, the medically fragile, those who are at risk in our culture of death. Continue to pray because God says in Job 36, quote, I deliver the weak in their suffering and I speak to them in their affliction. God sees, God hears, God's heart is moved and he is arising because of the oppression of the weak and the groaning of every vulnerable family with an elderly or special needs individual in their embrace. From Anchorage to Atlanta, from the Carolinas to California, from Delaware to the Dakotas, I love this country. And God has given us so many blessings because we live in America. We have benefited so much from the prayers of our founding fathers and mothers. And we still, even now, hundreds of years later, we feel the faint lingering effects of those powerful intercessions. So may their examples inspire us. And although we Christians do not put our confidence in the strength of men or their chariots or horses, we do pray. We pray. 
that God might give us godly leaders who seek his wisdom and whatever the outcome, we of all people should remain the most hopeful for we know that God will give us great opportunities in the darkness to keep shining his light. Thank you. Before we sing our closing song, I would like for us just to take a few minutes and pray. You can pray in a circle with people, three or four, any more than five. Maybe it takes too long for everybody to pray, but don't force people in your circle to pray, but introduce yourself to each other and, and pray what's on your heart, just for a few minutes. Or you can come to the front or kneel at your seat, spend some time with God, or sit at your seat and just have the Lord search your heart. What she said about 2 Chronicles 7.14 is the absolute truth. If you read the context of that promise that was given to Israel, it is sobering. If you don't, humble yourself and pray. The land doesn't get healed and things go really wrong. Let's stand in the gap just for the next few minutes. Can we do that? You can stand if you like or move your chairs around, form a circle, whatever you want to do. Let's just, the next few minutes, let's intercede for others. It can be for our leaders, our country, our families, the lost, your, your extended family, whatever you want to do. Costa Rica, 